Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And Sean, even though there's been a ton of criticism about the Rockets brass, you got to give them credit for interviewing some really strong coaching candidates so far. Are you ready for me to go through who they've interviewed and who's scheduled? Yeah, absolutely. Let's hear them. All right, let's talk about the biggies right off the top. Frank Vogel just won a championship with the Lakers three years ago, took the Pacers to two Eastern Conference finals, knocked out by the LeBron-led Heat teams. Love that candidate. M.A. Udoka, I know I'd screw that name up, took the Celtics to the NBA Finals last year in his first and only NBA head coaching season. If it wasn't for a banged-up Jason Tatum, maybe they win the title. Kenny Atkinson did a fantastic job with the pre-Kevin Durant overachieving Brooklyn teams a few years ago worked as an assistant under two of the best coaches in the league since then, and Ty Lue and Steve Kerr. And Sean, when Sam Cassell is maybe fourth on the list of guys I'm excited about and what Rockets fans get excited about with Sam Sam Cassell's leadership and, you know, we know what he's done, then, you know, I think the Rockets have done a pretty good job with the guys they brought in. Yeah, you know, the during this whole, you know, experience during this season, really, and ever since the season had ended, you know, we've constantly been making all sorts of uh, comparisons or finding similarities between what the Rockets have done, what we've gone through as fans and media having watched and endured this team for the last a couple of three years, really. If you're going to make another, you know, sort of comparison to the Texans in terms of what the Rockets have done, yeah, give them a round of applause, really, because people in the know talk, people in the know know a little bit more about what's happening inside the organization and, you know, quite honestly, just have a better handle, a better grip on things that they've witnessed, that they've watched. We could all watch the same game. We could all watch the same soap opera play out in front of us. But, you know, basketball people are just going to have a little bit different take uh, on, on the situation. And that's just a long way of saying that, hey, you know, the Rockets, as bad as they've been organizationally, as bad as they've been on the court, the fact that they've got the top coaching candidates in-house to interview, you know, I, I think, yes, it's it's a great sign. Um, now, having said that, it still comes down to making the right decision. And I had a question for you because, you know, while I've done a pretty good dive on a lot of these coaching candidates, you mentioned a guy like Frank Vogel. He and I think Ime Adoka are two that come to mind that have actually been through rebuilds. Now, I don't think Frank Vogel was there uh, in Orlando for the teardown, but he was there as they were sort of recalibrating. For you, does that make a big difference in terms of the experience that he had in Orlando versus what he would potentially be stepping into, him or Ime? And I'm not even sure the whole process that Ime went through. I think that was a fairly quick teardown and rebuild that he experienced in Toronto as an assistant, I believe. I can't remember. Um, but do you see the comparisons, and is that is that a big factor for you at all? Not really. I'm, I, I just look at what they've been able to do with what they've had. I, I appreciate the fact, though, that Frank Vogel has had a bunch of different situations that he's been in. He's had veterans with the LeBron yeah. James and Anthony Davis Lakers. 
you know, he had a, a system in Indiana that was basically dependent on Paul George and a young, young team in Indiana. Well, there were some veterans, but he had his best player, which was Paul George as a young player that was leading them to the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, that Orlando thing, it, it was it wasn't enough really for me to gauge how he did while he was there. But, you know, to me, it, it, I'm just looking at my respect for each of these guys. And we're talking about two guys that between Udoka and Vogel that have been to NBA finals. We're talking Kenny Atkinson that, you know, hadn't been there as a head coach, but I mean, he's been with the Warriors with their finals last year and championship. So, you know, these guys have been in big stages. They've been around it. They know it. They've been in various situations too. I think that's a big factor. You know, Udoka's trained under pop Kenny Atkinson's, you know, got Ty Lue and Steve. I mean, these are really guys that have been trusted with some big time coaches, you know, and, and, and been around those guys. You know, as as I'm listening to you kind of break this down a little bit, I, I'm trying to piece together in my mind the most important qualities, accomplishments, um, processes that you would want if you're Tillman Fertitta and Rafael Stone in your new coach. Given this situation with so much young talent on this roster right now, I'm looking at a coach that can offer me maybe not necessarily, Robert, the best total package, but who's got the most experience with a couple of these things. One, accumulating good veteran talent around a young roster, bringing in good quality guys. Where has it worked the best? Who's done the best job of getting that talent and infusing them into their game plan? And then two, you know, aside from looking at a guy who, like Frank Vogel, take for instance, who's more of a defensive-minded head coach, you know, he's never really boasted like great offenses, you know, you can weigh those things. But everybody knows that. Going deeper is who, as a coach, whether it be maybe an assistant, you know, like top assistants like Sam Cassell or Adrian Griffin or whoever it is, who's done the best job of getting those guys to work together? Because Ultimately, one of our biggest concerns talking about this roster is just that. Like, yeah, we all know that these guys are super talented, but there's a multitude of personalities, and they're coming out of a culture and into a, a totally different one with whoever this coach is. Who's going to do the best job? Who's best suited to figure out who's going to work, who's not going to work, and meshing all of those different kinds of personalities? Sure, sure. And I, I got to talk about my top three guys. I'm going to put them in order in just a second, but just want to remind everybody to subscribe and comment on YouTube if you're watching, but want to hear us while you're driving, shopping, or working out, whatever you're doing, listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Sean, if Udoka doesn't have more skeletons in the closet, then he's my number one choice. It's an easy number one choice for me, but the skeletons he does, always I think we would have found out about him already. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I would put Adkinson slightly ahead of Vogel just because I trust his offensive abilities more than Vogel. I think both of those guys would be pretty good defensively. Like I said, we, we got to talk defense though, because that wins championships. 
And and that's why I just keep coming back to Vogel. And Vogel seems they always finish top 10 in the league in defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And if he has a, a really great offensive, you know, assistant coach that could handle that aspect, but it, doesn't it really kind of come down to, look, here's a defensive mentality. You know, these guys are young, they're athletic, they're fast, they can be physical. These are just young ballers, right? A lot of this defensive mentality, I mean, I'll die on this hill all day, every day, can be learned, can be taught. And it's just a lot about the will. Um, but if you got a really great offensive guy on staff that can, you know, get the most out of the talent that the Rockets do have and the talent that they're going to accumulate because they're going to need some good, solid veterans infused with this young roster and not everybody you see on this roster is going to be here you know five six months from now I guarantee you that that's to me the most important thing but yes you know a guy like Vogel who does have championship pedigree who has done a great job working with a multitude of tough personalities from a veteran standpoint can he mesh those guys good veteran quality veterans xyz years with the guys on this roster right now. The guys that are going to be, that need to be, that are the future of this organization, Jabari Smith, Jalen Green, if it's a KPJ, whoever it is, Deshaun Tate, you name it, whoever he decides is the best fit, then I'm all for it. I'm absolutely all for it. It doesn't just come to, come down to, that's what I was telling you, I don't care really about like the defensive stats, the offensive stats, but you know maybe like who's got the best package, the best, best mix, but most importantly, who's had the biggest success rate in terms of actual coaching? The stuff that doesn't show up in the box score, the win-loss column, but assimilating personalities and creating a team atmosphere. Yeah, the top four all come with great leadership. We know that. that They're proven. Uh, Sam Casella, you can put him in the top four if you want because we know I his would, leadership. Because of his experiences, you know? Yeah, his leadership for sure. Uh, a mm-hmm. little worried about Sam Cassell, though. Uh, we could talk about him in a second. But just a little bit worried about the fact that he's been a, a lot under Doc Rivers in the last few years. And Doc Rivers not necessarily known as a, a fantastic coach by a lot of people out there, even though he won the championship back about 15 years ago. Yeah. But James Borrego was another interview, Sean, I want to talk about because mm-hmm. he might not get anybody used to excited, but he did a good job with below average Hornet teams. And if they hire Udoka, the fact that they interviewed, remember we talked about this with the Texans, maybe they're interviewing guys just to put them on the staff. Borrego may come in as an assistant because Udoka and him have worked together under Popovich. So they have a good relationship. And that's one of the things you're, you're watching what the Rockets are doing. I think there's some real, you know, key things like who are they like Sam Cassell, for example, are they interviewing him because maybe they can, lure him over as an assistant if something happens to doc rivers and he's got a relationship right now with james harden and philadelphia you know you got to look at that too yeah you know in in regards to borrego it's coming from popovich you got you got that sort of tutelage that sort of mentorship just that experience under one of the greatest coaches of all time you might think you know what it's my time I'm not really, I'm not here for an assistant coaching job. I'm here because. Well, Borrego, but Borrego was in with the Hornets and I don't know which job he's going to get out there yeah. that's available. I don't know if he's going to get a job. Of, I mean, and being with the Hornets, I don't know if it's it's going to be a sexy hire for another team. So maybe he, you know, works under the Rockets until maybe he can make that. A lot of maybe. times we see this, a guy is a head coach. He's He comes back as an assistant. He sort of works on 
bringing up his value again. And people go, well, man, he's worked with the, you know, say, say they bring in Udoka. It's like, well, he worked with Udoka and look what the Rockets did and look at the, you know, they went from zero to a hundred yeah. under Udoka. And, you know, you have to look at it from his perspective. And, and that's why I say, Hey, Borrego coming in as, because what they get with this staff, as far as assistant goes, is huge. We talked about it with the Texans yeah. just a few months ago. No, you're absolutely 100% right. I mean, you want to compile the best possible staff uh, that you can. And the more experienced guys with previous head coaching experience, guys that have worked with these tough personalities, 100%, guys that have been considered. Uh, uh, Borrego's been a guy who was considered to be a top assistant here before when Mike D'Antoni was the head coach. And so maybe he's got a little bit of more familiarity. I mean, it's a different regime, but, you know, certainly of the inner workings, at least what it used to be like versus maybe what it is now. You know, he too is one of those others like a Cassell, like a Brooks, you know, that can weigh their experiences from what it used to be to what it is now, what they're hearing, what they have a feel of. But I I agree with you. You, you want to put together the best possible staff. And the Rockets are trending in a really good direction because, as I said, um, and you've talked about extensively, they've interviewed the top candidates. I mean, there's nobody that is like, hey, well, why didn't they talk to this guy? You know, and there, there's been no kind of negligent process this offseason where they've just neglected somebody or somebody's just not wanted to touch him with a 10 foot pole to raise questions. You know, the Rockets have seemingly kind of are in the process of putting a lot of this drama behind them. And where it could get stirred up even more, though, is. And I know, I'm sure we'll get to this. If well, let's get to it. James Harden. Seriously consider bringing James Harden back, right? Yeah, yeah. The whispers, Woj, you know, fan the flames again. Rockets, you know, maybe getting James Harden. We've both been pretty clear we're not enthused by a Harden reunion. Right. But, Sean, two factors affect this. Number one, if the Rockets land the second pick in the lottery, they're drafting Scoot, meaning I doubt Harden fits in with Scoot and Jalen unless it's a short-term contract. Number two, and this goes back to the coaching. Does whoever they hire as coach want Harden? I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's factored that in yet, but do they feel like Harden, Jalen, and their backcourt make sense? Do these defensive-minded coaches, like, for example, Vogel and Udoka, think that works? And, Sean, you wonder if his name is getting mentioned in these interviews, you know? <laughs> you're, you're, and it has to. You know, again, I go back to my my first point that I'd made. You know, when you're talking to these coaches, why we were giving the Rockets kudos for just getting the best guys, the top guys in-house to sit down for an interview, that's great. Well, they're doing it for a multitude of reasons. It's a fact-finding mission. And then, two, they're obviously somewhat interested in the opportunity to be a head coach here. But they come with their own questions as well. Hey, Tillman. Hey, Rafael, how serious are you and is James about wanting to come back here? What do you think about this? Why would he want this? Why? What What happened in his exodus, you know, uh, five years ago, four years ago, whatever it's been now? I'd want to know everything I possibly can to make the best decision about even continuing the conversation about why you think I'm the best guy and why I feel like I'm the best guy to run this team. I feel like I'm the best guy with this group and some veterans that I have in mind, but in no equation does James Harden fit. You know, that that's a, that's a thing. Or, you know what, maybe you do have a guy that could say, you know what, like, hey, how serious are you guys about bringing Harden back? Because I could see some beautiful things here. You know, man, I don't know if a guy like Scott Brooks, you know, would jive with that or Sam Cassell would jive with that or Frank Vogel defensive-minded head coach, you know, would jive with that, bringing a guy like Harden in and having to worry about sharing the ball in all of these different capacities. I don't know. 
but it's absolutely got to be a conversation. Harden sharing the ball. I don't think that's a big deal anymore because he, you know, with, with Embiid, he's just become Mr. Assist guy. He's, you know, near the top of the league. If not, he might be the, he might have been the top of the league. This and he year. was really good not- here. He was really good here. And he was the guy here too, you know? So, I mean, that, that's a good point. But what I mean by sharing the ball is it, it's ultimately about, you know, taking the next step in developing the talent that you have right now with a Jabari Smith and a Jalen yeah, Green. I- I'm not worried about him on the offensive end. I'm just worried about him on the defense. That's it for me. The yeah. Defense and in the playoffs as well, like yeah. playoff Harden. Obviously, that's always a concern with me. I want to leave the NBA for a few minutes to talk, Astros. Yeah. I want to. I want to. We're going to hear from an H-town basketball legend with Longhorn and LeBron James ties before the show is over. So I'm going to go back to the NBA for for the end. But stay tuned. And, and Sean. Let's move to the defending champions, man. As excited as I am about Corey Jolks, I've noticed he has 48 plate appearances and zero walks. And somehow his on-base percentage is lower than his batting average. In his last two minor league seasons, his on-base was near 350. So there's hope he improves. But if Brantley comes back in a week or two, he better get ready to platoon with Uncle Mike. Just a little observation anyway. No, I think it's a good observation. You know, we talked about the approach that you took at the plate, you know, uh, within the first week and a half, two weeks of the season. The thing that I like most about him at the plate is that he's aggressive. He's not a guy that, you know, is going to work a lot of counts. I mean, he's well, yeah, he's aggressive. All right. <laughs> he's aggressive. He's all right. To, he's up there to swing the bat. And, you know, look, you've seen he's hit safely in most of his games. And I think that's kind of, you know, to the eye, that's what you're seeing. If you're just kind of looking at the box scores and statistics and you're like, okay, cool. You know, Hey, this guy's hit safely in 12 of the 17, 18 games or whatever that they've played. That's pretty darn good. Right. Yeah. It's okay. There's a lot of one for four, you know, performances sprinkled in there. Um, And then, you know, how important are those hits? Some of them have been pretty important. Um, You know, a lot of them, no, not so much. you know, stat fillers, but whatever. I like the fact that, you know, he's been getting the opportunities like Mauricio Dubon has gotten the opportunity and ran with it to play every day. Jolks has gotten his fair share um, and a really good shot to start his major major league career. I like what he's done so far. Again, it's so early. It's about the process. And right now, these young players, some of them, their heads are spinning and they're in the film room, and they don't know what they're looking at. They don't know how to take what they're seeing from themselves and apply it to the game, and that's where veterans, um, you know, like Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, even Jordan Alvarez, who's done such a great job with Mauricio Dubon and mentorship of him uh, this offseason and this season already, kind of come in and come in handy. So, uh, you know, yeah, wait and see. Because, And you're right. Look, Brantley coming back maybe sooner than – not originally expected, but expected at least of like the update that we got a week and a half ago where it was early May. Sounds like he's going to be back a little sooner. Cool. But he's going to have to adjust to another uh, sort of role on the team. And hey, when you're a rookie, you have to do those things. But uh, Michael Brantley getting back and being around the team every single day, uh, you could have a worse guy in, in the clubhouse and in the uh, dugout with you. Oh, yeah. And again, with Brantley, it's like, hey, I'll believe it when I see it, if you're going to be here and playing for a while, because, you know, the injuries and stuff like that. I want to get to another sort of underrated storyline that I've noticed mm-hmm. early in the season. And many Astros fans might be peeking at those Forrest Whitley minor league numbers, Sean. But Seth Martinez, you know, he he's probably peeking a little bit more at the Forrest Whitley numbers because he's been pretty pedestrian so far. League is hitting over 350 against him. Yeah. 
He's low man on the reliever totem pole, but I'm going to give you this, Sean. This is a little secret thing here. Dusty loves his lefties in the bullpen. We know he's always whining about those lefties. Blake Taylor, early on with the Sugarland Space Cowboys, has a zero ERA in six games. He was with the big league club a couple of years ago. He's only given up two hits in six games. Keep your eye on Taylor's return if the trend continues. Just saying. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I mean, it, it it's about making the adjustments, being healthy, seizing the opportunity. The numbers are good. Come on, bring them up. You know, I, I've said this time and time again, you know, and I get resistance on it, but I don't care at this point. Like, you know, you're not 10 games out of first place or anything. You're just out of a World Series. You do have a lot of young talent that you're having to rely upon, you know, with the bats off the bench. Um, and you do have a few question marks in the bullpen that you need to redress. And never mind what you're going to have to do with the starting rotation. There's questions abound with this ball club. There always are questions abound whether you won the World Series or not. If a guy's performing and they absolutely deserve a shot to show what they can do at the next level, bring them up. I'm all for Blake Taylor coming back and uh, seeing what he could do and create a little competition in season, see whose job he can take and keep. Um, so, yeah, bring it on. You know a guy that I was going to throw out that's maybe flying underneath the radar? I ain't heard one person mention his name. I haven't heard his name mentioned once. Phil Maton. He ain't a lefty or anything else. He's just a nut job that, you know, punched something and broke his hand last postseason or last regular season because he got pulled, you know, and pouted after uh, that. But this guy's come out of the pen this year and in opportunities has pitched really well for the Astros. So if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. Hey, good job, Phil Maton. You know, maybe he screwed his head on straight and, you know, got in his mind where it needs to be. He certainly got his game where it needs to be so far. Yeah, he's been good with the Astros the last couple of years. We forget about him because, you know, he's not the sexy guy in the bullpen, but he's got a .36 whip after seven games so far, eight innings pitched, uh, .075 average against, batting average against. That's You got to give him some props. I mean, Brian Abreu, I mean, enough said. The, The guy is about to get a statue in front of Minute Maid Park. I mean, is it too early for that, Sean? Is it too early? Too soon? <laughs> it's it's too early. I I I just told you that I think uh, he's going to be just fine. That he wouldn't uh, flash in the pan this past postseason. I think he's absolutely an ascending player, um, and you know one of the most valuable bullpen arms. Can't speak for the National League. Don't watch him too much anymore. But certainly in the American League, I think he's one of the most valuable arms out of the bullpen in the entire American League. And I'm glad the Astros have him. I'm glad the Astros, you know, took another chance on him, bringing him back up, letting him, uh, you know, prove himself last year. And he came through in some ginormous moments, and he's continuing to uh, ascend this season. So, yeah, big props to Bray, big props to Maton. You know, again, we had the same – we haven't got there yet, but we've had these conversations in years past where, you know, you get to about Memorial Day or whatever, Robert, and, you know, we start talking about, like, the bullpen and who's going to be a factor, what decisions they need to make. There's always a guy or guys we're not talking about, we don't give any love to, we don't give any respect to, or we talk trash about them during the regular season, albeit early sometimes, that come up big when it matters most and so keep an eye on guys like phil mayton keep an eye on guys like blake taylor because sometimes when you get that second chance to prove yourself um you know ballers they seize the day and i think he could be a baller 
Yeah, I mean, when I looked at Seth Martinez, and, and I'm, I, it's not picking on Seth Martinez. I like him great. too, man. I hate I hate the start for him. I like Seth. I thought I mean, he, he got great. a raw deal last year. Well, he was great last year. It wasn't a raw deal. It was just like, you know, it's just bad luck because you're, I mean, bad luck that he won a championship. Yeah, that that too. That's, I don't know. No, how but I mean, that, he didn't get a chance to continue to contribute in the postseason. You know, he got left off the roster. I think um, he made one of the rosters though, right? At least one I, of them. He might have. I, I, I don't think we saw him. You know, I mean, once Dusty figured out like, hey, uh, I got Montero, I got Naros, I got Stanek, and I got Presley. You didn't need anybody else. You didn't see anybody well, else. And the starters were going seven innings every night. But you for know. a kid, it's, a, you know, winning a championship, like first year out of the box with the Astros is pretty nice. I mean, that's. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, he pitched so good, I, in, in my opinion, during the, during the regular season. You know, if he needed to make a spot start, if he was long relief out of the pen, I thought he did a really good job uh, with what the Astros asked him to do in, in various roles. And. I just thought he had the. I thought he had the stuff. You know, he didn't have lights out stuff, but I thought he had good stuff to keep hitters off balance and at least give them something else to prepare for. Give hitters something else to think about. And yeah, hey, look, maybe this is the year for Seth. Maybe he's one of those guys that hey, you, you know, maybe he's sent down, figure some stuff out, and he's brought back up. And maybe he's one of those guys. And I'm talking about like keep an eye on because he might come up big when you absolutely need him most. Yeah, the, the reason I brought him up was because, I mean, if you look at this bullpen there, it's all veterans. I mean, Maiden yeah. is a veteran even. So if you're going to get rid of a guy, you, you might just be getting rid of him for good, whereas Seth Martinez, I think there's some options left. And, and mm -hmm. I know you like his stuff, but in this bullpen, you know, it's not the best stuff in this bullpen, anywhere close no, to the best no. stuff in this bullpen. And, you know, Blake Taylor, you know, he, he throws some nasty. He's got some nasty stuff in his repertoire, and he's a lefty, and – like that's why that's why I just feel like eh, there's a possibility, and and of course Forrest Whitley is in waiting. Out the re, the thing with Forrest Whitley, my feeling is you're, you're not bringing him up till June unless it's an emergency because you know it's the old clock ticking, it's the old baseball clock yeah. ticking, and we we never started the clock on Forrest Whitley, so you might as well you know wait. You know if if, if he is going to make it to the Astros, you might as well wait to start that clock. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, uh, there was there was a part of me, I think we had this conversation a few weeks ago where it was like, I was like, hey, bring him up already. You know, let's get this six-man rotation going um, because he's pitching really well. And I think it was you and uh, Steven, you know, kind of talked me into, hey, man, just be patient, <laughs> you know. And I'm fine with that because, yeah, here's a guy, like, again, we'd said, all right, if it wasn't being popped for steroids, it was an injury issue, um, or he he just wasn't pitching well. Okay. And now knock on wood, seemingly he's got his, his baseball life and hopefully his personal life, you know, kind of put together and he's in a good place. The numbers are certainly lending it to all of those things to be true. Let's let him get established as just a professional ball player in a routine for the first time um, in years for a guy like Forrest Whitley. And then, hey, look, if it's meant to be, it certainly, unfortunately, looks like it could be for the Astros as they're dealing with, feels like they've already dealt with more injuries through the first 20 ball games of this season than they did all of last year. Um, and they're going to need him at some point um, and continue to let him get uh, assimilated to professional baseball lifestyle where he's pitching every few days and he could help this ball club. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I said, 
you know, the Astros might be rushing some guys through the organization, according to Dana Brown, or at least challenging them, as Dana likes to say, Drew yeah. Gilbert, uh, early on in Asheville, I'm going to mention that because it's high A and Drew Gilbert was the first round pick last year. And center field is not a solid position with the Astros, even though, you know, give give my guy Chaz some respect. Hopefully he gets back soon. But Drew Gilbert hitting 353 and his first 38 plate appearances in Asheville this year with a 921 OPS. Uh, just something that I picked up on to notice a little bit. Anything on your mind with the Astros? G- Garcia, I know you're excited about his first start uh, that he's looked good in anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, his uh, his latest start. I mean, uh, what do you go? Seven innings, two hit ball, nine Ks, something like that. Um, I think he struck out like what uh, the first six outs that he recorded were all strikeouts, and he was getting them in a multitude of ways. And that start, uh, you know, last night. What is today? Thursday, so it was Wednesday, right? That start Wednesday was really important for him because out of the gate, struggling in his first three starts. We start talking, fans start talking, people start wondering like, hey, is this a mental thing with him that he's had to change, you know, his setup? You know, there's no more cha-cha, the whole thing. That's a mechanism. Every player has one to some degree to get going. And was he just kind of robbed of his? Is he going to have to figure something else out? I, I thought it was maybe a little bit of that, but I thought really ultimately we talk about this all the time with the hitters batting stance and where their hands are and what their feet are doing. Hey man, at some point, are you at the same spot as any other player at the point of contact? That's what it all comes down to. Are you balanced? Are you staying centered? You know, are you trying to drive the baseball as a pitcher at some point, where are you at in the release that you've had before where you've been most effective? That's all it kind of came down to for Luis Garcia. And through three starts, that's enough time to where you can pick up on a tendency or identify something that, you know what, here's this arm slot or here's, you know, where I'm not getting enough drive off of my back, like whatever it is, you can identify that and figure it out and put it together. And he did it against a really freaking good ball club, Robert. And I'm telling you, you know, this stretch of three, four series that the Astros are on right now, where they're going to see, you know, some playoff teams, this is when they tend to play their best ball. But it's also that turn through the rotation. And for a pitcher or a batter, doesn't matter. This is where you start to kind of figure some things out after, you know, being in the film room or in the cages or throwing bullpens, and you kind of start to see, you know, the fruits of your labor. So I thought that was a huge start. Um, and, a, and really from a team-wide standpoint, that was playoff baseball. That was the Astros that we've been used to watching, you know, in big-time moments over the course of the last six years. They put it all together. They got contributions top to bottom, you know, out of the bullpen with their starting pitching. They went deep in a ball game. When's the last time that's happened? This season anyway. Um, I, I thought it was a great, great game for the Astros, and you have to be able to build on those. Yeah, it's one game. I mean, you know what? Uh, I, I'm just right now focusing on Mauricio Dubon breaking DiMaggio's hit streak. So we're going to talk more about that as the season rolls along. He um, I, he's I one, circle... fifth, one fifth through it. Okay. He, <laughs> he's got some work. <laughs> I, I want to circle back to the NBA for a Houston sports talk classic clip. Like I said, I want to hit on this one because a few years ago, I sat down with ex Longhorn Willow Ridge product, 
and NBA point guard TJ Ford. Let's flash back to a bit of that conversation. Hard to believe he came into the league with LeBron James, and he's been retired. Get this now for 11 years. Here he is. World. You came out in the draft with a pretty darn good draft. It was LeBron and Carmelo and Chris Bosh, and the names just keep going on and on. Dwayne Wade. What was it like? Because you're, you're going through everything with those guys all through the years. I'm sure you're playing in camps with them and that sort of thing. Well, a little, they were a little bit, you know, a couple of years younger than you, I think, but you were going through the, the camps and the NBA camps and all that sort of stuff. What was it like to, to be around those guys and, and to think that I was part of this incredible draft, one of the great drafts in NBA history? Just being a part of it, knowing it will go down in history of having probably, you know, the greatest player of this generation. Um, LeBron James and, and being next to those guys and, and being one of their peers and uh, some of those guys uh, at that point was kind of looking up to my career at that, at that time as well for what I did in college basketball. So, you know, it's a huge accomplishment for myself as a, as a and something to reflect on. And, uh, you know, I, I was blessed and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the talks you know, 15, 20 years from now. Any of them surprise you with what they've been able to do in the NBA? Uh, no, I think, you know, with the draft, everyone got to good situations that allowed them to, you know, be a unique basketball player. I think no matter where those guys went or where we went, it was going to be successful. So the main players, they carried the, the weight for us. They um, took the NBA to the to the next level and the next phase. And uh, like I said, I'm, j- I'm just blessed to be able to, you know, be in the category with those guys. Which guy do you remember as a point guard? Because we're loaded with point guards in the NBA right now. What Which guys do you remember being, I hated to go against that guy. Well, I don't. I don't feel like going against him. Or who did you just love playing because he was such a challenge? Jason Kidd. I love playing Jason Kidd. Being in the Eastern Conference, I got to play him in preseason, regular season, and then we always kind of matched up in the playoffs. Chauncey Billups was another guy that was tough to play against that I look forward to. I would probably say I, you can go on and on and on. Um, but for us, the East, to playing those guys that that many times, Allen Iverson. You know, every night was tough, but especially those guys, I cherish them the most. How do you look back at your NBA career now? I mean, do you feel like, you know, I know there's, there were some injuries and some things like that that, that kind of held you back a little bit. Uh, do you, is, it, is it bittersweet or was it, you feel like this is just a, an unbelievable experience that I got to, no, to play in the NBA? Great experience. I mean, look, I can't, I can't do anything about, about health and injuries. I think everyone knew coming to the NBA what my health was. Um, for me, I, I left everything out on the basketball court. And I'm satisfied with the way my career went because I, I, I know I gave it my all. And uh, when I look back at it, it's not, a, not an ounce that I, I can give. Even with the injuries, I, I think I, I still perform at a high level and, and probably was still one. I was one of the still top-tier players, even knowing that I never was 100%. You were a Rockets guy growing up? I'm sure you had to be uh, to the championship teams. That would never change. So what, 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 which guys did you uh, which guys did you love watching? You Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell. Smith, Sam Cassell. Uh, he's a mentor of mine as well. Uh, Mario Elliott, Akeem Olajuwon, Class Drexler, play a huge part and giving me good feedback over the years as well. Did those guys change kind of the way you th- thought about things? Maybe this is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be play in the NBA. I've been watching the NBA since a kid, but I definitely you know I, I do remember being downtown uh, for one of the parades. So. Uh, it brought joy to the city, and it made us believe that, uh, you know, we want to be a rocket. Great stuff there, Sean. And we just circled perfectly back to Sam Cassell, like we were talking about him earlier in the show.
confirmed Sam Cassell will be the next head coach of your Houston Rockets because he mentored TJ Ford. <laughs> one of the one of the great point guards of our era. Uh, he was mentored by Sam Cassell. See, he can work with veterans and infuse them with young talent. That's very important to me. Signed, sealed, delivered, done. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, he talked about Clyde even working with him a little bit, mentoring yeah. him back in the day. And, you know, you look at those Rockets teams and, I mean, just there's leaders all over the place. And that's what you want to start seeing with this current version of the Rockets. That's what they're going to have to start doing, picking up, finding guys to maybe put with the guys that they've got. Leadership on the current roster. There's some concerns. I like Jabari Smith. There's guys that I like. But they, they need some more leaders in this locker room for sure. Yeah, and you got to find the right ones. Uh, the right ones have to step up. You know, sometimes you get into a position where, you know, you do have so much young talent and guys become frustrated because they want their talent to yield more W's in the win-loss column. And you don't want too many Chiefs, not enough Indians running around, you know, in that type of a situation. Um, and if you have a guy or guys that can pull the group together um, and lead them, that's that's the situation that you want. I mean, that's kind of the template, right? And who can those guys be? Who are they? Are they obtainable? Um, are they going to fit your your scheme? Um, that that's the thing. And I don't I don't know who who that is right now in this market of free agency. I, I don't know who fits this Rockets team the best, but I do have to trust that whatever coach the Rockets can hire, if it's Atkinson, Nurse, you know Brooks, Cassell. Adoka, whoever. I mean, it's such a great list uh, to have at your disposal, given the situation you've come from over the course of the last three years. And um, if they're able to make the right hire uh, from a coaching standpoint and fill out a, a really, really great staff, um, that I, I, I trust them because they've all got a, a really good wealth of experience of being around some talented, um, and like I said, a multitude of personalities over the course of the years. Uh, with a number of teams. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I really, really am excited. I feel like we're getting a rocket basketball team back, even though we don't have a head coach yet. Just the fact that you have a great list to choose from, I'm all in. I'm here for it. I can't wait to see who it is. One week away from the NFL draft, John. Texans, have you changed yeah. your mind about number two? What, what's going to happen? Do you know? Do you I've know, never, you know, you know I, I've just, we've talked about so many different hypotheticals. I've not, to be quite honest with you, sat down and married any one individual. Um, you know, I was I was working a game the other night at U of H, and uh, uh, somebody came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, when are you on?" And I said, "Any second now." They go, "Okay, gun to your head. Who do the rock? Who did the Texans take number two? And I just said, "C.J. Stroud." That I, I don't know if I want C.J. Stroud, but that's just kind of I'm programmed. Like you know what? I, I do believe that he's, you know, very attractive to, to the Texans. Um, what do I, what do I want to happen? I, I mean, I, I, I just want the Texans to be right. If you, if you said, Hey, pick a freaking quarterback, it didn't have to be at number two, but who is somebody that you want the Texans to draft? I can, I can roll with that a little bit easier. I've become an Anthony Richardson type of guy. And I don't know where the best possible place is for you to take him. If you need to trade down from two, trade up from 12. I think he could back. be there at 12. I, I think he, he could know, be there at 12. Maybe. And you know what? If he is, 
if he is, and let's just assume, let's play the game of, you know what, the Texans go Will Anderson or Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson. They go edge rusher or, or, or interior D-line in some capacity, right? And they went defense. Now you need a quarterback. If Anthony Richardson is there at 12, me, what I want today at this point, I would really like Anthony Richardson. I think he brings excitement. But most importantly, aside from all that crap, you know, with the fanfare, I think the guy's an absolute stud of an athlete. And the Texans, if those coaches are really worth their salt and the credit that we're giving them in terms of an offensive staff, they should be able to work with that guy. They should be able to work with most of these guys, uh, to be quite honest with you. But Anthony Richardson, he feels more to me like uh, an open book in terms of somebody that is just going to absorb coaching and is coachable that's not named Bryce Young. So I'd go Anthony Richardson. There he is, man. He's the stud of an athlete himself, Sean Bajani. Man, always good to talk to you. Let's do it again in a, in a few days. we got Monday, one show left before we're talking draft next Thursday. Just one show left. That's it. Let's do it. And then we get the post-mortem, right? We get to break it all down. We'll see what happens there. I'm excited for it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.